Well, uh, today we continue in our second week of Ephesians. And if you remember what Steve talked about last week, we are halfway in between this kind of amazing proclamation that Paul is making of praise. He starts, blessed be the Father. And he is piling on reasons why the glory of God is just overwhelming him. Blessed be God. Praise him for all that he has done. Praise him for choosing us, electing us, adopting us, and showing his, his grace to us in Jesus, all of these things in Jesus. We're in the midst of this great proclamation of praise, and this week we're going one step deeper. How does God elect and choose and, and adopt us to himself? How does he bring sinners to himself that he might be in relationship to them? What is it that it means to be in Jesus? What, is, what changes when we are in Jesus versus in ourselves? And we're going to see one kind of key word here, a concept here, redemption. The redemption is this transaction that has to take place for us to be brought back to our God. And in Jesus is this redemption. And as we come to understand that term, the hope is that we would understand the beauty of this, this interaction that has happened in history between God and man. That he has bought us back in Jesus. Not that we might just simply receive a salvation, but that we might be uh, filled with praise and honor and delight in our God. So with that in mind, we are going to read Ephesians 1, 3 through 10, but we'll be focusing on verses 7 through 10 this morning. Let's, let's read this and uh, continue in this great doxology of Paul. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let's pray. Father, blessed be you in all of your grace. We thank you that we can stand in Jesus and not in ourselves. We thank you for the abundance and lavish grace that you have poured out upon us in Christ. Father, we ask that we might have hearts changed, that we would see the abundance of your grace, that we would know the glories of the plan that you have revealed to us, and that we would seek a redemption that cannot be found in ourselves, but can only be found in Christ. Would you make us people of great praise because we know of your 
amazing work for us in Christ. Holy Spirit, would you fill us? Would you teach us? Would you help us to know and to believe? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right. So we're going to begin with redemption. In him, this is Jesus, in him, all these in hims, in hims, in hims, in him, Jesus, we have redemption through his, through Jesus' blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. All right. There are Christian-y words. There are words that you're going to read the Bible and you're not going to know what they mean. Or you think and they just kind of pass you by and flow over you and they don't really mean much. All right. Now, these aren't words that Christians invented. They're words that we've forgotten because we didn't really use them very much. But they're real words. And so they're not magic. We just have to understand, okay, what does it mean? What does redemption really mean? All right, this means to release by payment. To release by payment. To get freedom by ransom. Basically that you are enslaved, you are indebted. You've been taken away and you must be bought back by the one who used to possess you. Now, I know there's kids here, and that probably means like, what does that mean? So we have a little story. This is not my little story. This is my summary of a story that uh, you might probably know. All right, so uh, it's a story of the little boat twice owned. The little boat twice owned. We read it every Easter. And there once was a little boy. And he took this block of wood... And day after day, he was shaving it down until it was a, a boat. And he paints it red. He, he puts a mast on it. He cuts out cloth and, and makes for it a sail. And after all of this work, he has made for himself this boat. It is his. And he takes it on its maiden voyage and puts it on the local stream. And it gets out from beyond him. And it disappears down the stream, down the drain, and it is lost. His boat is gone. And day after day, he, he returns to the stream, following it further and further, until several weeks go by, and finally, he goes further than he's ever gone, and there is his boat, but it's in the hands of a different little boy. And he runs up and is saying, that, that's my boat, I made that, give it back. And he says, no, this is mine now. And so what does the little boy who made the boat say? He says, fine, I'll buy it from you. I will buy it back. And so he empties his pockets and pulls out the, the gum wrappers and a couple dollars and like, this is everything I have here. Can I have it back? And he buys back his little boat. And he says, as he walks back, you are now twice mine. You are mine because I made you, and you are mine because I bought you. All right. That transaction, the buying back this thing that was his, that is redemption. He had to redeem it to get back that which was his. And that's how, that's, that's this, this word, and it means so much more than just saving. It's 
It's telling the same story of our relationship to God. And so it starts by, by recognizing that, first of all, we belong to God. And that we always ought to belong to God. And our relationship was such that he created us and therefore we were his. And he also had this great purpose for us. This purpose to, to honor him and love him and be in relationship with him. To live our lives under his rule and to his praise. That was what we were created for. And we belong to him. All right. But we become lost. We become lost because we rebel against this creator. We do not want to belong to anyone. And so we run. And we don't just make mistakes. We don't just make errors which are to, are to be human. No, we trespass against this God. That's what the verse says here. We betray him. We injure him. We attack him and reject him. And what we discover is that in that, in that sin, in that rejection, in that betrayal of God, we have put ourselves under debt. That we have now put this gulf between ourselves and God. We have buried ourselves deep. And that that debt needs to be repaid. It needs to be redeemed. It needs to be paid for. Now my question for you, before we go forward, we have to ask, all right, have you incurred this debt? Have you distanced yourself from the one who is your creator? Have you rejected him? Are you, do you need to be bought again? And to help us, we think, okay, uh, have you failed to love and worship God? This one that you, he has, he has created you for that purpose. Have you done it? To love and worship him or you, have you rejected him? By loving another or by worshiping another or by just failing to dedicate your life to this one? Or have you failed to reflect the goodness of God? If we're created by God, we're supposed to reflect and be like this one. And we ask ourselves questions like, have you ever failed to love others as you would want to be loved? Have so put yourself in their shoes that you would seek to love them as adamantly as you seek to love yourself? Or have you ever failed to suffer for others? Unwilling to, to suffer and die for them? A high standard. Have you ever, ever failed to put them first? To seek their desires above your own? This is the way that God interacts with us. With our, that, that is God's character. Have we reflected it? Even more, have you given every emotion, devotion, and action to your God? Have you lived like one who belongs to him? Right. If you have not, then you are under that debt. You are under the debt that you have, you have broken relationship. You have run from the one who created you. 
you are lost, you are imprisoned, you are impounded, and you need to be bought back. Right. Now, if it were just that, then you think, okay, I can, I can scrounge the money together. Let's pay it off. But God takes it one step further. He says, no, these are capital offenses. Capital offenses, and the only way to pay this debt off is death. This is a death debt. And you are under the death penalty. And you can only pay this debt off with your blood, with your life. Not by trying harder, not by doing your best, not by trying your hardest from now on to be good. That does not remove the debt that you've created with God. We are under his wrath, under his justice, under his judgment. Now, this was supposed to be a praiseworthy, right? right? We're supposed to be celebrating. So, in him we have redemption. All right, yeah. An elder was shaking. We're up there. All right. In him we have redemption. All right. The debt. The debt is paid. All right. You can pay the debt with your own blood and with your own death and with your own life perishing before him. Or Jesus steps in and he says, no, I, I will be the payment. I will pay. I will pay off the debt with my own blood through the blood of Christ. The forgiveness of sins. And we wonder, how? How did God, he said he was going to elect us, he was going to choose us, he was going to adopt us. Uh, suddenly all these things are going to be restored. All right, that doesn't happen without someone stepping in and doing something about it. There has to be a payment. The eternal God has been offended. The perfect and holy one has been offended. Who is going to pay? Jesus steps in and says, I will pay. I will die in their place. I will pay with my blood. So that we can return to God. We can be those ones twice owned. That he created us. And he bought us by the very blood of Jesus Christ. That is redemption. And I ask you. Do you need to be redeemed? Have you been redeemed? Do you really think that you've create, you have perpetrated this evil that has incurred this debt? Or are these just errors or mistakes? Failures to rise to your potential? Or no, is there real evil that has been done against a real holy God? Do you feel in your heart the, the weight and the burden of that debt? If there is a debt, there needs to be justice. There needs to be justice. Right? If we understand that in a car crash, there needs to be justice. And either you're going to pay to fix my car, or, or I'm going to pay, but someone has to pay. There has to be someone to, to deal with this. It doesn't just disappear. There's always a cost. Do you see the cost? Are you going to pay it with your own blood, 
Or do you want Jesus to pay it for you? If we have redemption in Christ, if you have found redemption in Christ, you have every reason to praise. You have been restored. You have been redeemed. You have been bought back. You are back with the one who created you and loved you and chose you and adopted you and delighted in you and gave you grace. That he came in your place. He redeemed you. Now, Paul's going to go further. All right. So, what does all of that redemption reveal? And he says he, it reveals the abundance of God's lavish grace for you. All right. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace which he lavished on us. All right, according, guys, it's like, it's just like almost like a, a scale mentality. So it's like all of this redemption is equal to what? It's equal to all of his grace. Where does all that redemption come from? It comes from the source of God who is rich in grace. When you think of God, do you imagine him as rich in grace? You know, maybe we, we think of him more as rich in glory and power and might. Or rich in the cattle on a thousand hills, or he's clothed in gold, he's ruler over heaven. Or maybe for you he seems much more rich in wrath and justice and judgment, overflowing with those things. But no, he says he is... Paul, when he sees this redemption, he sees one who is rich in grace. Who is rich in unmerited favor. Who is rich in giving good gifts to people who deserve destruction. Who is overflowing with giving people the opposite of what they deserve. That is the God that he sees when he sees the redemption that is found in Jesus. Because he didn't have to be redeeming. He could have been completely just. He could have said, you know what? They were mine, but they rebelled. I will destroy them and I will find another. He could have done that completely justly and said, you know what? They, they failed. I'll create a new people and they will not fail. And he'd be just to do so. He'd be rich in justice. Or he could have said, you know what? They left. They better find their way back. And they better make this right. I am not paying for you again. I paid for you once. I paid for you when I made you. I will not pay for you a second time. He could be rich and his holiness and, and justice and righteousness and judgment. He could have demanded from us these things from an impoverished people who could not repay. But instead we have this one who is rich in grace and he gives his own son's blood that God comes down and pays for all of our sin and transgression, which is very life. 
his death where we deserve to die. His destruction where we deserve to be destroyed. The precious death of Jesus Christ. Now, he says that this grace was lavished upon us. Lavished upon us. All right, a story about being lavished upon. All right, have you ever been lavished upon? All right. Uh, the most lavish person I, I knew was uh, Casey's dad, uh, David. So when we were dating, Casey and I uh, were taken out by, by Jan and David to this restaurant. And we sat down, and he said, uh, so what drink do you want? And I was newly 21, and so I could get a drink. All right? And then it was like, and he asked me, like, so what, what do you want? What do you like? I had no idea. <laughs> I, I had never had anything. And I told him this. I was like, I, I've never had anything. I would have no idea. And he says, okay, I got it. All right. So he, he hands the, the drink menu back and says, one of everything. <laughs> and the waitress goes, one of everything? And we all go, one of everything? And he says, one of everything. And suddenly, like, drinks start coming <laughs> and, like, and filling the table. And, like, and we're, all, we're all trying to keep track of, like, which one is this and which one is that because we, we have to report back which one we, we like now that we've tried everything. And, all right, lavish. All right, did he owe me anything? No. I was at a restaurant. They, like, the goofy boyfriend, he was feeding me, the starving college student, and I'm like, but no, it's lavish. All right. An abundance of just like love and care. All right. Do you know a God that's like that? Do you expect lavish grace from your God? That is what Paul sees. He sees a God that is lavish in his grace. I think too often we have a miserly God. And he is distributing little pennies of grace that we're desperately clinging to, hoping that it'll cover our sins. And we're counting our sins over here and looking at his miserly little pieces of grace and wondering, I, will it pay for it all? I better not overspend. I, I better not sin too much. I better not admit to all the sin that I have because I might not be able to pay. All right. Is that, is that your God? That is not Paul's God. That is not the God that he sees when he's seeing the blood of Christ being paid for our transgressions. He sees a lavish, abundant, Rich God who is rich in grace and out of the abundance of all of his riches lavishes that grace upon us. Like tidal waves of grace flowing over. There's, what are we worried about? We really think we're going to overwhelm him with our sin? No, we have, we, we have this one who's, who's pouring it upon us. A free gift that we did not deserve, could never deserve, and it's just completely overwhelming us. So I ask you, how do you go to God? 
how do you bring your sin to God? Do you bring it like Oliver Twist? Or like the like, some more please, sir. <laughs> They're like, please. Like, this is ridiculous, but that's how we act with God. Like, uh, like I need more. No. All right, how should you approach God? All right, you have literally been clothed in the robes of Christ. His ring, the ring of Jesus is upon your finger. And you enter the courts of the house with praise and adoration and the trumpet sounding because the sun has returned. And like, let the fattened calf be slaughtered and let's, let's pour grace upon this one that we love. That is our relationship here. Lavish grace. Jesus did not pay his blood so that we might be poor in grace. Or stingy in grace either. If we have it lavishly, we also give it lavishly. That we are rich because we are rich in Christ. Now, does that make you want to praise him? Does that make you want to say, blessed, blessed be the God and Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise him for the abundance of his grace. Look at this one who elected and adopted and chose us and, and redeemed us to himself. Because he wanted to give all of these gifts and so the riches of his grace in Christ. Now, last thing. I always lie about that, so I, I, I try not to say it anymore. There's <laughs> always more. Uh, all right. How do we get it? How do we get it? And it's the most unlikely way of getting it. It's like kind of a boring way of getting it even. But this is how we get it. We get it in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. All right, focus, focus. All right. He's saying, how does he give us all of this lavish grace? He gives it in wisdom and insight. In knowledge. By just helping us to understand. That's how he pours it out upon us. It's not by this, like, astounding transaction. It's no, it's simple. It's to know. To know that this is true of you in Christ. That it's real. And to help us to believe that this is really where we stand and this is really offered to us. To, to make us know and believe that reality is our salvation, is the pouring out of this grace, is our redemption. We do not get it by works. We do not get it by trying to be better people. We get it by knowing and believing these realities and then all of that lavish grace is poured upon us. By grace you have been saved through faith. By believing. This has always been the plan. This has always been the plan from the very beginning. It's always been in Jesus. And for the longest time, it was hidden what that really meant. We knew that there was this nameless, faceless, 
offspring of Adam and seed of Abraham. That there was this, this son of David who would come. That there was this blood that would be spilt. There would be a prophet who would speak this final word or a, a priest who would reconcile us to God. But we didn't know who he was. And now at this last time, God has said, it is Jesus. And if you seek that reconciliation, that uh, redemption in Jesus, if you believe it, and that is where you look for it, you will find it in him. You will find it by faith in him. It's not about what we do. It's believing and receiving it. Right? That's where knowledge is not head knowledge. It's not theological tidbits. It's not just scratching the itch of your curiosity. No, to, to know this and believe it and receive it by faith, salvation. And that's where, uh, this is the actual last part. Jumping back to seven. Jumping back to seven. I, I've ignored a word that's kind of important here. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. We. As I've been talking here, I've been, it's been almost implied that everyone, or all, Everybody is in this camp. No, this is, these are the blessings that come to the we who say, I want that. Jesus, give me your redemption. Overflow your grace upon me. Help me to believe. I believe. I want it. I want this transaction to take place. That is a crucial difference. If you have not made that transaction, then I, I call you. Choose. Call out. Say, this is, yes, I believe that this is, this is how I am redeemed. I want to be redeemed in Christ. Take me, make me in you and not in myself. Make your blood flow, not mine. That is a transaction that we make with God. We are ever and always invited into. If you have done that, there's really only one application. Praise. Praise, 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 praise. Praise in Jesus, in Jesus, in him, in Jesus, in him, in Jesus. That is what this passage is about. And we praise him in our devotion, in our emotional life, in our identity in our sacrifices, in our enjoyment of things, in our obedience to his word, in our seeking his face, in our loving other people, all of this is praise. That's what life becomes simplified down to. And it says, if you know this, praise. Praise God for all that he has done in Jesus Christ. Our redeemer, the one who pours grace upon us, the mystery that has been revealed. Amen? Let's pray.
Father, we thank you that we are twice yours in Jesus. We thank you that you not only created us, but after our great fall and in all of our sin and our hatred of you, you bought us again. Father, we ask that we would seek our redemption in Jesus, that we would know your lavish grace, that we would believe in the plan that has come to reconcile heaven and earth, God and man, life and death, the perfect Holy One to sinners. We thank you for Jesus. Would you help us to live under his abundant and lavish grace, we pray. In Christ's name, amen.